0: salutations out there sports fans all across the wide and wonderful internet it is time for another as always hot spicy and glorious edition of modern day gladiators here on the outlander media network i am always your glorious humble and ace of tennessee sports podcasting your host michael shibley hope you guys are ready for a jam-packed show of course we've got Baseball underway, so we've got some controversy with uh, Los Angeles Dodgers having problems dealing with stuff outside. Of what's going on on the Diamond. We've got, of course, full reports on what the Tennessee Vols have been up to, both on the hard court, now that the season's over, and on the Diamond as well. And, of course, the big news, it is WrestleMania week. So, of course, we are going to break down everything going on in New York, both with the WWE and without it. We've got some huge shows to talk about there. Looking forward to all of it, but, of course, we have to start with... The Final Four has now been set. Congratulations to Virginia, Michigan State, Texas Tech, and Auburn. Those are your final four teams left in the NCAA Men's Tournament. It has been probably the Sweet 16 and the Elite Eight. The rounds there were probably the top four-day stretch of games in college basketball when you talk about elite competition and how wonderful it was. It was one of the things that I was thinking could happen when you talk about The fact that there really weren't any Cinderella teams left. Yeah, you had Oregon as a 12 seed, but that's still a Power 5 conference team. So when you look at all these teams, you look that there could be some really great basketball taking place because, yes, a lot of times Cinderella teams making it is really cool, it's a great story, but a lot of times their dreams die very quickly once you get to the later rounds. Yes, you've got George Mason, VCU, Butler, and Loyola Chicago's teams who have made it to the Final Four. But a lot of times, these Cinderella teams, once they get to the second weekend, those dreams die hard. So it was great basketball. I mean, just look at some of the things that happened. You look at Purdue, Tennessee, my beloved Vols, going down in overtime, 99-94, to uh, Purdue. Ryan Klein just went nuts, just hitting every three-pointer in sight, it seemed like, in the second half. UVA and Oregon in a rock fight. Duke-Virginia Tech, again, another missed shot at the buzzer. For Virginia Tech, Duke was living, just living on a prayer and being able to go through Auburn, just destroying North Carolina, 97-80. to 80. They did lose Chumo Okiki though, with a torn ACL, which was a factor, and people thought they were going to fall, of course, in the Elite Eight against Kentucky. Kentucky surviving against Houston, 62-58, and then, of course, you move to some of these Elite Eight games. Texas... Tech, beating Gonzaga 75-69, UVA Purdue in overtime, 87-75, Carson Edwards, the other sharpshooter for Purdue, being the South Regional most outstanding player, and he earned it even in the losing effort, 42 points, and he was just in a three-point duel with Guy from UVA, what a great game that was, UVA, again, had an opportunity to, to have to just pull a miracle and force overtime. You had the situation where uh, Purdue was up three, and then with about five seconds left, Purdue, I thought, did the very smart thing in fouling Virginia, making them have to go to the free throw line. And what that did was it made UVA, first they had to make the first free throw, and then they had to intentionally miss the second one. And again, odds show that that is the best way to do it. So I'm not going to fault for what happens next because it came back and, and they ended up losing the game. But they had to miss it. And then what happened was they missed it. The ball bounced off the rim so badly it went back onto the uh, other half of the court. So it's like a three-quarter court throw. And instead of just doing a half-court shot with the time they had left – uh, the Virginia was able to pass it down and just get a great look for Mamadi Dikitsi uh, I believe I pronounced that name right, hits the shot to force overtime. I even think without other players on the court, if you just have those two guys with the amount of time you have left to make that pass and make that shot, I think nine times out of ten, that doesn't go in. So what a great moment that was. UVA then, of course, wears down Purdue in overtime. And again, what a great thing for... Uh, UVA, hats off, has to go to them for last year, losing to UMBC, losing to a 16 seed for the first time ever for a one seed, then getting a one seed again and showing struggles against another 16 seed in the first round against Gardner-Webb, but then rallying and now making it to the Final Four. That was just a great game, another great moment. Auburn uh, with Kentucky, also in overtime, Auburn just having a great run. Jared Harper and Bryce Brown have been an incredible backcourt. Auburn on fire. Hats off to Bruce Pearl and what they were doing coaching-wise. To losing Chuma Okiki, you would think they'd be done, but they were able to rally, come back against Kentucky, and win in overtime. Michigan State and Duke in another just classic contest between two heavyweights. It sucks that both of those teams had to meet in the Elite Eight. That should have been a Final Four or a final matchup, really. The fact that you had Michigan State as the top two seed facing the top one seed, I always thought they did some sort of S-curve when it came to the seeding, but that was not the case. Of course, uh, with all of this happening, you judge the points. I, Even though my Final Four has been totally destroyed, Duke, my champion, they're out. All of that considered, judging by the points and everything, I am your Outlander Media champion when it comes to March Madness, so hats off to me for once. I'm going to give myself some hats off for being right, even though I was very wrong by the end of it, but hey, thanks for everybody for participating, and of course you can check us out at Outlander Media. Uh, You can check out all the other great shows that we've got there as well. And, of course, like, subscribe, review, share. You can check us all out wherever you get your fine podcasts. Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Stitcher, TuneIn, and Spotify. Anywhere. Again, rate, review, surprise, uh, rate, review, and subscribe, comment, all of that stuff. Those five-star reviews mean a lot. That's how you get us out into the algorithm. We definitely appreciate That but again, hats off to Auburn, hats off to uh, Michigan State destroying my bracket, but still enough to win. Zion Williamson, by the way, still great in defeat 24 points, 14 rebounds. So, your two matchups in the final four you've got Auburn versus Virginia, UVA right now is a five and a half point favorite, and then you have Texas Tech versus Michigan State as Michigan State, a two and a half point favorite. Again. I like do seeing some different teams. It's not going to help the ratings. You've got Michigan State really as the only powerhouse left, but you've got some great stories. Texas Tech and Auburn for the first time ever making it to the Final Four. And again, you talk about what Auburn's been able to do. They were able to turn it on, rally the end late in the SEC regular season, and then, of course, win four games in four days, including drubbing the crap out of Tennessee to get... Uh, and win the SEC championship, and then surviving New Mexico State, but then going on to beat three, three of college basketball's winningest pro. Actually, um, all of them. They're the three winningest programs in all of college basketball. So you talk about blue bloods. You've got Kansas, they beat North Carolina, they beat and Kentucky, they beat. So just a great run there for Auburn. And honestly, I think they're going to beat. Virginia. I'm calling the upset. I've got Auburn over UVA in that first one. And then in the second matchup with Texas Tech, Michigan State, I'm going with Michigan State in that game. And then I'm going to go with Michigan State. I think Tom Izzo gets to cut down the nets for a second time in his illustrious career. So I've got the Spartans beating Auburn in the finals there uh, next Monday. And of course, we'll recap all of that here on Modern Day Gladiators as that is good to go. And, of course, one of the things we've got to, of course, talk about my Vols. Falling short in the Sweet 16, it was still a great game. My heart, I can't believe I'm not 100 pounds at this point, the way Tennessee makes my heart go pitter-patter. They were down 18. They were able to come all the way back, had some chances at the end. Yes, that foul on Lamonte Turner. You can argue all day long if that was a foul, if it wasn't a foul. It's tough, and again... I. Do I think it was a foul by the letter of the law? Yes. Do refs swallow the whistle a lot in situations like that? Also, yes. Tennessee had their chances, and they unfortunately didn't get it done. And, of course, a lot of people are pointing to that Tennessee, again, had this great season but no crowns. But what a great season, really. When you look at Tennessee basketball historically, this is the longest we've ever been ranked number 1, only the second time ever. So, That was a great moment. Beating Kentucky two out of three times was great. Just, again, this team was fun to watch. They were just a lovable bunch of guys, and I'm going to just be so happy to have been able to watch this team. They're going to give me great memories even though they didn't win a title this season. It was still a very successful season in Tennessee basketball history, and you can put it up with all of the great seasons that Tennessee had, including Bernie and Ernie and some of those early Bruce Pearl teams. And, of course, that has brought up a lot of other things with Bruce Pearl because, again, he's in the Final Four with Auburn. And, of course, a lot of people are comparing Bruce Pearl to Rick Barnes and all these different things. And even some of my friends have been asking who aren't Tennessee people asking, you know, are you, you know, chippy and upset that Bruce Pearl has had the success? I'm not upset with Bruce Pearl. If, if Tennessee didn't have Rick Barnes and hasn't had the season we've had the last two years and remember how bad those first two seasons were under Rick Barnes as these guys were actually literally learning how to play basketball. It seemed like at the college level. So I, the, the success we've had these past few seasons has negated that. Am I happy for Bruce Pearl? Yes. Was Bruce Pearl getting fired at Tennessee Bruce Pearl's fault? Yes. Am I upset with the NCAA for having really stupid rules about lying about a barbecue? Yes. He did lie. That was Bruce Pearl's fault. There's no ill will toward him. He did own it. He does acknowledge the mistake. He's not mad at Tennessee people. I'm not mad at the Tennessee people for firing him. I know that there was a lot of people who, after the Donnie Tyndall fiasco, wanted to hire Bruce Pearl back after the show Cause was done, but there were too many people in the administration at the time who were there when they let him go, and that's not going to happen, and one thing you've got to remember, too, you know, Chuck Pearson the, the assistant coach with Auburn, he's going to prison or very likely going to be doing prison time with this pay-for-play scandals things that's happening. You're not going to see any of that stuff with Rick Barnes. He's going to run a clean, honest program. So there is all of that. I'm happy for Bruce Pearl. He's a great in-game coach. We'll see what happens as this goes along but again, I, I'm not mad. I don't have any ill will. I am perfectly fine and content with Rick Barnes as our head coach here. On Rocky Top. Some other big news with Tennessee though, when it comes to Tennessee basketball. The AP All-American team came out. Honorable mention went to Admiral Schofield, so congratulations to him. The AP first team, though, you had, of course, from Duke, RJ Barrett and Zion Williamson, a pair of freshmen there. John Morant from Murray State, well deserved as well. Cassius Winston from Michigan State, also a well-deserved honor from him. And Grant Williams from Tennessee, also AP first team All-American. That means he was a first team All-American on all of the uh, wire services that come out with all of those, and that means he was a consensus first-team All-American. He is only the third Tennessee Vol to do so. Only Bernard King and Dale Ellis had been that, so congratulations to Grant Williams for having another phenomenal season. Back-to-back SEC Player of the Year for the first time since Corliss Williamson for Arkansas back in the mid-'90s. The other year... Two Vols who have been consensus any type of All-American team are Ernie Grunfeld and Chris Lofton. They were consensus um, second team All-Americans. So that is great to see. And now people are talking about will uh, Grant Williams and Jordan Bones stay? That's one of the big questions on everybody's mind as we get through this I do believe both of these guys will declare for the draft. They're going to go through I believe the draft process. You saw this last year with Admiral Schofield where he declared for the draft but he didn't hire an agent. He went through everything to see and measure where he might end up and he was not satisfied with that, so he returned to Tennessee, which most people thought he would. Grant Williams, I think could be, you know, a late lottery pick. That's where a lot of people seem to have Grant Williams. If he stays another year, I don't think, unless his outside shot improves dramatically, I don't see him reaching higher with the draft stock. I think Grant Williams, I think he's probably, if I had to to place a bet and you held a gun to my head, I do think Grant Williams will go pro uh, and enter into the draft officially as a junior I think if he could stay there is a very good possibility that he will stay I think though it would be more along the lines of Peyton Manning where he just loves playing college basketball and he decides to stay like Peyton did back in the late 90s here at UT that's just my opinion Jordan Bone I do think he will again also declare his intentions but I think Jordan Bone will return I do think he still has a lot of he does need to work on, I think he does need to also work on a very more consistent outside shot. I think some of the decisions he makes, he makes a lot of great decisions, a lot of great passes, but sometimes I think he gets a little too ahead of himself when it comes to some of that. So, But his improvement from a sophomore to a junior I think was outstanding, and I think if he can improve on that even more, he could be a top 10 draft pick if he decides to stay at UT for one more year, which I do think he will do. I think if I had to, again, make an instant decision right here, if you had me put money on it, I would put money on Grant Williams going into the NBA draft, and I would put Jordan Bone coming back to Tennessee. But we'll, of course, talk about all of that once it becomes official here on Modern Day Gladiators. One of the fun things, of course, that has been going on with the NCAA tournament this year has been the fact it has devolved into, and I've talked about this many, many times, of course, I want NCAA players to be able to make money off their own likeness, and one of the ways that has been, uh, players have been fighting back against, again, the NCAA makes billions of dollars on this NCAA tournament, pretty much on the back of unpaid labor when it comes to a lot of this stuff. You can, again, argue the education, you can argue with all of that, but NCAA players have been, uh, Taking the locker room rugs, there of course the NCAA puts their logo on everything and March Madness, all of that on everything during this tournament. You've seen it all if you've watched any game for more than five seconds. One of the things is there's been locker room rugs and players had been taking some of them, and the NCAA said, "No, you can't take those. Those are ours." Even though they give them other stuff like, "Ooh, free Wi-Fi! Wow, that's great." So you're just like everybody else in the world getting free Wi-Fi in hotel rooms. Um. But the NCAA confirmed to the Wall Street Journal that the rugs are not available for the taking, saying there is team-specific signage in every locker room that teams can, what teams can take once they finish playing at the site. But we are clear that the rugs could not be taken. NCAA Director uh, of Media Coordination and Statistics David Warlock uh, told the Wall Street Journal. But one of the great ones was Iowa's Jordan Bohannon uh, tweeted out. Uh, he said. This was great. I, I love this. This was just wonderful. He took a picture. I guess they took the uh, the locker room mat and he put it in his hotel room, or it might even be in his dorm room as they've left um, as they left uh, the NCAA tournament after being eliminated by Tennessee. He said he took a picture of it, posted it to Instagram and Twitter, and said, "Give us the ability to make money off our own name, and we'll give you your rug back. You have 24 hours." Which I think is amazing. I think that was a baller move right there by Bohannon. And the NCAA, of course, did not respond. Interested to see what's going to happen. I looked it up. Bohannon is a junior. If he was a senior and he was graduating, who cares? He's done with the NCAA. What are they going to do? Take money away? Because that's not going to happen. So we'll see what they decide to do. But again, it's the same thing. Let them make money off their likeness. You're making all this money. You should let these guys have Instagram where they can make money and YouTube pages or sign things. Totally fine with that. But again, we'll see. It's just a mess when it comes to a lot of that. And again, very annoying. And I wish uh, they would let these guys make more money off their own likeness. Meanwhile, John Calipari, we talk about Kentucky having an early exit via Auburn. John Calipari has now been getting a lifetime contract. From Big Blue Nation and Kentucky. Uh, UCLA made some, you know, flirted with it a little bit and maybe made him his contract offer, which by the way was less money than he was making already at Kentucky. And John Calipari, master negotiator, it's amazing. The guy's won one title when you think with all the NBA talent he has, he'd have more or even more Final Four appearances. They haven't been back to the Final Four since they lost to Wisconsin a few years ago. In that Final Four when they were undefeated. So it's really interesting to see because he was able to take this and now not only get a raise, but now he has a lifetime contract. So he can coach Kentucky as long as he wants. Uh, Pretty much the only one who has that is Coach K at Duke, which a lot of people, of course, keep comparing them to. Coach K, of course, has won more titles and been to more Final Fours. It's really interesting, too, because he makes a lot more than Mark Stoops does as the head coach of the Kentucky football program even though as successful as Kentucky basketball is Kentucky football still makes more profit by far than Kentucky basketball does when it comes to everything revenue profits all of that so just keep that in mind that Calipari is making far more money but football is still king even in Kentucky it was you, you go back to the 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 way back machine it almost seems like or, um, Bear Bryant was the coach of Kentucky and Adolph Rupp of course was the coach of the Kentucky basketball team and both teams the football and basketball team had won championships and had very successful seasons um, Bear Bryant as a reward at this dinner gala for su- celebrating the success got a lighter So the football coach got a lighter the basketball coach got a Cadillac it's a car for those of you who don't know what a Cadillac is I don't know why I'm saying that but it's true so even back then, Bear Bryant could see where the writing was on the wall and decided, football's not valued here nearly as enough as basketball, I'm going to go coach somewhere else. He coached at Texas A&M, and then of course, he coached at Alabama, and the rest is history there for the Bear. So, you can see that, but yes, football still makes more money, but Kentucky fans care far more about it, and it could come to bite him in the butt when you see this lifetime contract and see how things work out. We'll see if Calipari can get back to a final 4. He has not been back there for a while. So we'll see what talent he brings in, of course, because he's always going to bring in talent, but we'll see. Meanwhile, the women's final 4 is also set. Congratulations to Oregon, Baylor, Yukon and Notre Dame. It's going to be interesting to see where we go with that. I'm going to go with Baylor. It's my pick. I've got them beating Oregon, and then I do have uh Yukon avenging the crazy losses they had last year to Notre Dame. So I have Baylor and UConn in the finals, but I also have Baylor beating UConn. They beat him in the regular season. I've got them beating UConn again. And I think this will be three years that Gino R.E.M. has not had a title, which is amazing to think in the run that he's had at UConn, especially since Pat Summit has just, you know, there's nothing left with the Lady Vols. So that is amazing. But I think Kim Mulkey and the Baylor Bears will get it done and win another title for Kim Mulkey. And that's going to wrap up our NCAA uh, basketball discussion here in the first block of the show. We're going to take a quick break. You're listening to Modern Day Gladiators here on the Outlander Media Network. Welcome back. You hear the music. You know that's what it means. It's time for Shibbles and Bits here on the Modern Day Gladiators podcast. And of course, rest in peace, it looks like, to the Alliance of American Football, or the AF, as we have all come to ca- call it. Eight weeks into a 10-game season, looks like the AF has uh, suspended operations, it looks like, as a league owner, Tom... Uh, Dundon has decided again. All operations looks like they were having money problems. Uh, I am extremely disappointed to learn uh, that it has been uh, suspended. Uh, that's again what uh, that's what Polian said. Bill Polian, of course, one of the heads and uh, founders and ideas guys with the league, said in a statement Tuesday it looked like that they would be able to finish the season and pay the creditors. And that just looks like that's not what is going to happen. And again, we were thinking that it was going to be, you know, this good alternative for spring football. The ratings came out, they were very strong. People were looking forward to maybe even having spring football. The ratings were better than NBA games, at least for the first week. Uh, But then we saw the money problems that we're having. It looks like, uh, you know, uh, Dundon, he's the owner of the NHL's Carolina hurricanes had not Uh, pledged 250 million dollars to help the league with its money problems which again essentially made him the just commander of the AF. The league shot down reports that it needed money to stay afloat. Again it's one of these things where again it is tough to go and compete with the NFL even though The football is in the spring. It's one of the things we just seem to always run into, even with the USFL. And the USFL, by the way, I think could have lasted a lot longer had uh, one of the owners of the USFL, the name of Donald Trump. I don't know if any of you know who he is, uh, decided that we are going to challenge the NFL and want to play football in the fall and sued them for a monopoly. They did win that decision, but they were only awarded $1. It got up to, I think, $3.32 or something after court costs and interest or whatever else the hell went on with that. But that was the judgment when it came to that. So, again, something just to keep in mind, and we'll see what happens with the XFL. There does seem to be a little bit more money involved with the XFL, it looks like they might have a different type of TV deal. We'll see what happens with all of that. But again, we saw what happened with the XFL last time. It is taking them an extra year to get ready, so we'll see again what happens with all of this. But we'll see if the if the XFL can leverage it and use players that are on the practice squad for NFL, which was what the alliance was asking for and the NFL didn't seem to want to do that if they can maybe make offers to some of these college football players and say, hey, you, uh, like Trevor Lawrence, for example, had just a phenomenal year, won a national championship and is already a high NFL draft prospect, but he can't leave the NFL until after three years out of high school. The XFL can be like, hey, come play for us on a legacy deal and what we'll do is you can still play and we'll pay you a lot of money, but then when the NFL draft is ready, you can go right ahead and do that but at least here you'll get paid some money to play. That's an option. We'll see what they all decide to do with that. But again, looks like rest in peace, Alliance of American Football. Barely anybody will remember you existed at this point. Um, Speaking of other issues going on in the world with doom. The Los Angeles Dodgers are having some issues with off the field problems. And again, this is the first week of the season and they've already had this, these problems where a man was severely injured in an altercation at Dodger stadium on Friday. Um, these t- two men were leaving the stadium. The Dodgers said one of the men was injured as a result. Um, the man identified as Raphael uh, Reina uh, and his wife, Christelle, they were um the the guy, Raphael, was in the hospital and on life support after he suffered a fractured skull, among other head injuries. Uh, his wife told KABC that she didn't see what started the altercation as they left the Diamondbacks-Dodgers game. But uh, her husband was arguing with someone and then a loud cracking sound. I don't know what it is, but the police are saying the uh, 47-year-old man, he was punched by another man and fell to the ground in the parking lot police are investigating the encounter as an assault looking for another person in their 20s who drove away in a white SUV no arrests as of this have been made and again this is not good because if you remember back in 2011 uh, San Francisco Giants fan uh, Brian Stowe he was at a Dodger game and he suffered brain damage when he was assaulted outside Dodger Stadium on opening day by two men who got prison sentences they went to jail for that i mean the guy had brain damage for crying out loud the dodgers said they've increased security outside the stadium following that attack but obviously there's still issues going on with better patrolling and this isn't the only thing this uh came about as well this was a sad story that happened last season but espn and outside the lines finally got an autopsy report um aaron goldblum Erwin, uh, I'm sorry, Erwin Goldbloom, His wife Linda suffered a fatal brain injury on July, August 25th. I'm getting all my days mixed up. August 25th, 2018, when she was struck in the head by a foul ball in Dodger Stadium. And what ended up happening was the Goldblums. They were 59 years of marriage. They had been um, in the lodge level seats there. They'd had that for years through partial teasing and sick, um Partial season ticket plan that they'd had when uh, San Diego Padres batter fouled the ball back the first base side of home plate. It soared just over the area protected by netting and hit Linda Goldblum. Uh, she was taken by ambulance uh, ambulance to the hospital and died there August 29th, leaving three children and seven grandchildren. She was 79 years old. The Dodgers had not made public what happened, but. Outside the lines for ESPN, a great investigative journalist branch got a uh, coroner's report stating the cause of death was uh, intercranial hemorrhage due to history of blunt force trauma from the impact of the baseball. Now, the Dodgers, of course, had wanted to have a moment of silence to honor uh, a great fan of theirs, but Erwin uh, Goldblum, uh, Linda's husband, said no to that. We don't need their sympathy. We want action. And they have been pushing, and this has been a push not only from this guy, but from a lot of people have been pushing to extend the netting, the protective netting, much farther down than Major League Baseball has. Um, You know, they've changed it in some places where they put it at least to the edge of the dugout, but they need, I think, to go even farther than this. And I even mentioned this last year when they've had reports of things like this happening, where especially kids are getting hit with balls and everything. Yes, pay attention, but... If you ever watch Real Sports with Bryant Gumbel on HBO, they did a whole report on this as well, where even if you are paying attention and if you have a glove, the reaction time of people is amazing. Especially now with the phones or if you turn just to talk to somebody, that crack of the bat, and that ball's coming at you, you know, over 100 miles an hour in some cases, and it can do some serious damage. So... I think the netting needs to go, in, I think, down to where the bases are at least, like all the way down to first base and third base down those foul lines. And again, as a student at UT, I sat in the student section and they had netting where we were uh, right above the, uh, the home team dugout on the first baseline and balls came whizzing up there. And again, I can get my hands up, but Again, you might not be paying attention. They're coming fast, but that netting protected you protected you, no problem. And it also didn't detract from viewing the game. I don't know why people complain about that. It's not showing any type of detraction, at least for me, for seeing any of this. So people need to get over that um, personally. Speaking of baseball, on the UT side of things on the diamond, UT baseball, they're off to an okay start in SEC play. They're in the meat of the SEC schedule right now. Uh, they've dropped out, unfortunately, out of the top twenty-five. They were swept at Auburn. They did win the series versus South Carolina, who's ranked. And then, but then they only took one of two against Vandy, who has now moved into the top three in baseball rankings. Uh, they won seven to six on Sunday, so that's good. They are three and six in the SEC, which is not great. Um, but they did start a nine-game homestand. The first game of that was against uh, interstate rival Belmont. They won that game 6-2, to two, so they were able to get a win there. And now they're playing... Uh, I think a top 10 team in Mississippi State over the weekend at Lindsey Nelson Stadium. So if they can just rebound, win this series, they'll get back on track, and I think things could go well for Tennessee baseball. If they can keep winning, especially at home, win these series at home, no matter how good the team is, and you can just get into the SEC tournament and hopefully back to the NCAA tournament, which would be great. Things are going great for Tennessee softball. They're 6-3 and three in the SEC. Uh, they've won all three of their SEC Uh, Series they beat, they won two to one versus Florida, two to one versus Arkansas, and two to one at Mizzou this past week. They've got a series coming up this week. Uh, versus Auburn, there. Beautiful Sherry Lee Parker Stadium. So check that out. Auburn ranked 12th right now. The Lady Vols in softball have moved up to number five. So keep an eye on that. Another great tribute as we wrap up shibbles and bits here is Russell Westbrook. And we don't talk about the NBA much because sometimes in the regular season, boy, it gets repetitive and boring. But something really cool happened here uh, last night as of this recording. Russell Westbrook for the Oklahoma City Thunder had only the second 2020 game in. In basketball history in the NBA, only Wilt Chamberlain had done it before, and that was back in 1968. So, this is a 51 year gap between that. But again, 20 points, 20 assists, 20 rebounds, at least. And that was a really cool feat to do. And he dedicated uh, that moment to Nipsey Hussle, the uh, rapper who was gunned down Sunday in Los Angeles. It looks like it was some sort of gang violence. And again, that was a cool moment for Russell Westbrook. And again, a great moment there. Of course, I'm pretty sure the Oklahoma City Thunder won't make it far in the playoffs. We'll break down all the playoffs in the NBA and the NHL when they're ready to go here, of course, on Modern Day Gladiators. That's going to wrap up this part of shibbles and bits thank you guys as always for tuning in but as we turn the page oh man it is that time it is one of my all-time favorite times of the year man i cannot wait for all of this i'm so pumped it is time haha <coughs> <laughs> you can hear it haha <laughs> yes I just want Vince McMahon's voice over this, Welcome to Wrestlemania! <laughs> oh, I probably just killed all the sound. Uh, I just killed the audio probably doing all of that. But I'm pumped for it. It's Wrestlemania season. Of course, I can't not talk about this first as we are here in Wrestlemania season. It's Wrestlemania week coming up but on last week tonight with John Oliver on HBO. A lot of you have seen this. He did a whole segment. His deep dive this week was into the practices of the WWE and the big thing of course about that is the fact that as wrestling fans like myself who have been following it for a long time and know all of this know that they're not employees of the WWE, they are listed as independent contractors, even though they can't work for anybody else, uh, and all these other things, so again, they have to provide their own health insurance, and all these different other things that you look at, so, those are things to consider, again, it's not new to someone like me to someone who might not be a big wrestling fan or only know just a little about it and maybe know who hulk hogan is who the rock is who john cena is that might be it they don't never saw where these guys really came from when it came to this will they see any changes of policy and drug policies and uh, making them and giving them health insurance and retirement accounts personally i I don't think you're going to see any of that until Vince McMahon is dead and gone. I don't think you're going to see any of that because he's got too much control over everything, as John Oliver pointed out in that segment. I thought it was a great segment. I thought it opened up a lot of other people's eyes to what we in the wrestling community have seen for a long, long time. The only way, again, I think they're going to see any of that stuff unless, one, the stock price tanks or Vince dies. That's going to be it. Or unless the IRS... Or Congress or someone decides to have a committee and have these hearings and talk about it. And I don't see that happening under this administration. Uh, the McMahons, of course, have been friends with the Trump, uh, the Trumps for a long, long time. WrestleManias 4 and 5 were at Trump Plaza. Trump has been ringside. He's in the WWE Hall of Fame. He was involved in that Battle of the Billionaires with Vince McMahon that we have talked about on this show before. So you've got all of that to consider. So I don't see that happening when Vince dies, and people have talked about now what's going to happen when Vince dies, it looks like uh, control of the WWE, of course, will go, I think, to mostly Stephanie McMahon and her husband, Triple H, who are um, who are together and will control a lot of it. But I don't know if they're going to want to run it like Vince has. I honestly think they're going to end up selling it to probably someone like Disney or Fox who is, of course, their media stuff is owned by Disney at this point. So mostly Disney, I think, would get control of it. We'll see when whenever Vince dies. But again, a great segment by John Oliver. Now, let's jump in to talking about everything happening this weekend. Of course, WrestleMania is the main event, but there's some other great stuff, as wrestling promotions from all around the world have gathered in New York, and the big one that... Uh, It has nothing to do with the WWE is the New Japan Ring of Honor G1 Supercard again happening in Madison Square Garden. And that's important because this is the first non um, Vince McMahon and McMahon family controlled show happening in Madison Square Garden for the first time since the 60s. So that's amazing in and of itself. Some of the great matchups that we've got going on. You've got some winner-take-all battles uh, for both the a New Japan title and a Ring of Honor title. You've got the never open weight champion Will Osprey taking on Jeff Cobb for the who's the Ring of Honor TV champ. I've got Jeff Cobb getting the win there. You've got. Bully Ray versus Juice Robinson in a New York City street fight, I've got Bully Ray winning that, the IWGP Light Heavyweight Championship is on the line, Taji Ishimori taking on Dragon Lee and Bandito in a triple threat match, I've got Ishimori retaining there, another uh, winner take all match, the Gorillas of Destiny are taking their IWGP tag titles, putting them on the line against Villain Enterprises uh, also. You've got uh, Los Ingobernables De Japón with Evil and Sonata, and then the Briscoe Brothers. All of them. The Ring of Honor Tag Titles are also on the line. Zack Saber Jr. versus Hiroshi Tanahashi for the British Heavyweight Championship. That's going to be an awesome match. I can't wait to watch that one. I've got Zack Saber Jr. getting the win there. Tetsuya Naito versus Kota Ibushi for the I.W.G.P. Intercontinental Championship. I've got Naito retaining there. Jay Lethal is putting his Ring of Honor Championship on the line in a triple threat ladder match against Marty Scurll, the villain, and Matt Taven. I've got... I'm gonna have I'm gonna go on a limb here and pick Marty Skrull to get the win there. His Ring of Honor contract might be coming up soon. Probably gonna join his boys in all-elite wrestling. I think Ring of Honor is gonna do some things to try and keep him in Ring of Honor. The main event in that one, Jay White, the Switchblade versus Kazutka Okada for the IWGP championship. Okada, of course, we talked last week, winning the New Japan Cup to get this opportunity. I have him getting the big win as the Triumphant Hero comes back, vanquishes the villain, and wins in front of a sold-out Madison Square Garden as Okada gets another reign with the IWGP Heavyweight Championship. Moving on to everything going on with the WWE, NXT TakeOver New York looking to be another fantastic card. I cannot wait to watch all of this. All of these matches have the ability to steal the show, it's going to be amazing. The tag team titles are on the line as the War Raiders defend against Alistair Black and Ricochet. I have the War Raiders retaining. I'll talk about why here in a moment. Pete Dunne, who has held the uh, WWE United Kingdom Championship for 700 plus days. He is defending against Walter. I think his title reign comes to an end as Walter will defeat Pete Dunne and become the new United Kingdom Champion. Shayna Baszler, uh, the champion in the women's division, she is in a fatal four-way match against Io Shirai, Kyrie Sane, and Bianca Belair. I've got Shirai getting the championship because I think Shanna Baszler is going to get the call-up to the main roster. You've got the Velveteen Dream defending his NXT North American Championship against the King of Bros, Matt Riddle. I've actually got Matt Riddle winning because I also think Velveteen Dream is going to get a call-up, even though I don't know how much room on the main roster they have left for anybody else, but I do have Matt Riddle getting the win there. And then Johnny Gargano versus Adam Cole, baby, two out of three falls for the NXT Championship. Of course, this was supposed to be Gargano versus Tommaso. So Ciampa to put a bow and a finality to their great rivalry. But Ciampa, again, his neck, it looks like he might even be done as a wrestler. He needed that much neck surgery uh, to go. I do have Gargano getting it in a great and fantastic two out of three falls matchup to become, finally, NXT champion. And then, of course, we move to the main card, WrestleMania 35 happening Sunday, probably going to be about 53 hours long when you include the pre show. Let's just run down some of these real quick. You've got the Andre the Giant and the women's battle royals. I don't care who wins those, it's probably going to be Braun Strowman beating up the SNL guys at some point. So let's just have him winning it. And then on the women's side, Lacey Evans to finally pay off those stupid things she's been doing where she just walks down the aisle and turns around and walks back. Sure have her win it, it doesn't really matter. The Cruiserweight Championship also probably on the line in the pre-show. I just, I really wish, if they really wanted to give the guys on 205 Live a showcase to get more people to watch, you should put the Cruiserweight Championship uh, match on the main card instead of just having it on the pre-show. But Buddy Murphy has been amazing as champion. I see him retaining against Tony Nese in a great matchup that everybody will mention how great it was and then will be forgotten because it's on the pre-show. The SmackDown tag titles are on the line with the Usos defending, again, in a Fatal 4 match against Ricochet and Alistair Black. So, they're pulling double duty. They've got two tag title shots. Maybe they win one. We'll see. But uh, And then you've got The Bar and Rusev and Shinsuke Nakamura. I'm going to go with Ricochet and Alistair Black getting the win here, I think, Again, they've had a, they'll have a great weekend. They're going to have two awesome matches with the NXT Tag Titles against the War Raiders, and then they find a way to shake it off and beat everybody else to become SmackDown Tag Champions on the main roster. You've got Kurt Angle's farewell match as he's taking on Baron Corbin. At least it's slated. The internet is not happy about that. I still think it's going to be against John Cena, uh, but whoever wins it, either if it's him against Baron Corbin or against John Cena, or something of that matter, I've still got uh, Kurt Angle losing to whoever it is. Because, again, it's a common trope. In professional wrestling, you go out on your back. You lose your final match, and you head off into the sunset. Miz versus Shane in a Falls Count Anywhere match. I'm going with Shane using chicanery to uh, defeat Miz. The women's tag titles... Are on the line as the Boss Hug Connection, Sasha and Bailey, are defending against Beth Phoenix and Natalia, Nia Jax, Tamina, and the Iconics. I've got Sasha and Bailey retaining there. The U.S. Championship on the line, Samoa Joe versus Rey Mysterio. Both guys have lost matches leading up to this, not against each other, but against other competition, which kind of weakens the belt. Honestly, I wish they'd just get rid of the U.S. title and just combine it with the IC title, but what do I know? Uh, I do have Samoa Joe retaining against Mysterio. The Intercontinental title is on the line. Bobby Lashley defending against Finn Balor. It has already been confirmed that Finn Balor will come out as the demon at WrestleMania, which always begs the question, you're doing that for the Intercontinental title. Why didn't you come out as the demon who doesn't lose against Brock Lesnar at the Royal Rumble? But that's beside the point. But I've got Finn Balor winning the title there. Triple H versus Batista, this should be a great match against guys who used to be with each other in Evolution. They've had great matches back around WrestleMania 21 and the pay-per-views after that. Batista had always beaten Triple H. That's kind of what set this up back when they had the Evolution reunion at the SmackDown 1000th show where uh, Batista said... And was trying to put over Triple H, said, you've done everything except beat me, and that led to a showdown, then Batista, of course, a few weeks ago beat up Ric Flair at his 70th birthday celebration, so now this is also a no-holds-barred matchup and also Triple H's career on the line, which just leads me to believe that Triple H will beat Batista finally, because obviously Triple H needs his heat back. So I've got Triple H winning that one. AJ Styles versus Randy Orton. It's been a great build for this one. I've got AJ Styles getting the win somehow. We're going to have probably an incredible RKO from somewhere out of nowhere. But I've got AJ Styles getting the win there. Roman Reigns versus Drew McIntyre. Of course, Roman Reigns is back And healthy. His cancer is in remission. I do have Drew McIntyre getting the win. You want to put over a new big villain, especially if you don't know what's going to happen with Brock Lesnar. You make it Drew McIntyre, you make him beat up Roman Reigns and get the big win here at WrestleMania. So I've got Drew McIntyre getting the win over Roman Reigns. The WWE Championship on the line. Daniel Bryan has been phenomenal as a heel champion. It's been awesome to watch. He's defending against Kofi Kingston, who finally gets his shot. I do have Kofi Kingston getting the great moment. I think this match is going to open the main card of WrestleMania, and I do have Kofi Kingston getting the win and having his quote-unquote WrestleMania moment, but I don't have this reign lasting long. It could be as short as the next night or at the next pay-per-view. I think Daniel Bryan does get it back, but I do think Kofi Kingston gets the win and gets a nice payoff to this angle. The Universal Championship on the line, Brock Lesnar versus Seth Rollins. Should Seth Rollins win it? Yes. I don't want Brock holding a title anymore. I'm tired of it. It should be more of a special attraction than anything else. I don't think it helps them that he only wrestles every four months. So I've got Seth Rollins. He should win it. But because the WWE just can't do anything else besides probably, I guess, keep that belt warm for Roman Reigns again, I'm going to go with Brock Lesnar winning, even though Seth Rollins should be the one to win and hold it. I've got Brock Lesnar retaining. And then the main event, as we've talked about, the winner-take-all match. So both the Women's Raw title and Women's SmackDown title are on the line because Charlotte beat Asuka to make this a winner-take-all matchup last week on SmackDown. So whoever wins gets both belts. Hopefully they'll just combine them at that point. But you've got Ronda Rousey, Charlotte Flair, and Becky Lynch in a triple threat match. Of course, this was supposed to be, as the rumored build for a long time, was supposed to be just Ronda Rousey versus Charlotte Flair. But again, they did not anticipate what happened with the growth and awesomeness that Becky Lynch has been since her turn at SummerSlam. I am very excited. You can't go without Becky Lynch. Becky Lynch has to win this. That's just the way it has to go. That's the way the story goes. And it has to happen at the main event at WrestleMania. We'll see if they do that. But I see it happening. I've got Becky Lynch getting the win and sending the fans home happy for a long and exhausting Wrestlemania hopefully the fans have enough juice to cheer and be all in on that match by the end of what's going to be an exhausting day even for me sitting back and watching every moment of it. But that's going to wrap it up. We, of course, will be back with a full report on WrestleMania and, of course, the Men's Basketball Championship and everything else going on in the world of sports next week. Of course, for modern-day gladiators, like, subscribe, share. Give us those five-star reviews wherever you can. I will love you forever if you are able to do that. I appreciate it. Until next week, I have been Michael Shibley. Too sweet. Love you. See you next time.